Okay. <laughs> Welcome. One and all. <laughs> to podcast number three. Episode three. Keeping up with the kindergarten. <laughs> I know that you were all riveted by our first two podcasts. So we thought that we would come at you today with not an improv game, but some, um, our, let's title hmm. this podcast. Yes, let's do. Was it Charles Dickens who wrote <laughs> Great Expectations? It was indeed. It was. Yes. Yeah. I pulled that one out. <laughs> Today's podcast brought to you by Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens. Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> This okay. is Great Expectations mm-hmm. of Kindergarten. So I think our hope for today is to dig into what we as adults expect from kids. Mm-hmm. And looking at it, teasing it from a couple of different angles. But uh, as Dana alluded to, Instead of starting with an improv game, we're going to start with some news stories mm-hmm. that we have mined the internets for. Mm-hmm. So I tasked my friends here with finding a news story or a current event about a child that related to expectations mm-hmm. of some kind. Uh, and so, uh, Dana, you want to kick us off with? I do. All right. I do. I found this article entitled, 15 Amazing Kids Who Are Making the World a Better Place. Mm. And that's not just by existing. They have done some things more than I will ever do in my lifetime. There's a five-year-old in Gainesville, Georgia. Her name is Dahlia Marie Arana. And she read more than a thousand books before she even entered kindergarten. More than a thousand books she read. Uh, She reads to her five-month-old brother and um, she's just very passionate about these books (laughs) and that's more books than I've read in my lifetime. So that was her and I'll just tell you some of the other things that the kids have done but I won't go into detail. Okay. One child, who's nine, kept losing her retainer, so she invented the retainer container that you wear around your wrist. It's a bracelet with the retainer container on it. I love that. I know. She's nine. (laughs) Then there's Robbie Bond. Mm -hmm. He, too, is nine, and he was very moved by the destruction of national monuments. Mm. And so he started a website, Kids Speak for Parks. He also made his parents take him to 27 vulnerable parks, (laughs) and they did. Uh, So he's fascinating. There's more, but that is just to say that, um, gosh darn it, these kids do some amazing things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about expectations and like what these parents may or may not have expected of their kids, Mm -hmm. what comes to mind? Um... Well, I think of my own kids, Uh (laughs) and I think of when they were babies, especially the first one, and I think like, oh yeah, my kid is going to do something pretty fantastic too. I just know it. Uh Then you meet your child, and you have to adjust those expectations. Hmm. 
So I'm sure these parents, if they were interviewed, would be like, oh, the, he just loves parks. <laughs> but I don't 100% agree with that. <laughs> I think there's something to that. Like, how does he even know what a national park is? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The retainer container, I think she had a moment of genius. Yeah. But then I think she had some adults in her life helping her to, like, start a business. Yeah. And the reader, well, I want to see the books. Yeah, I also like question what happens once, like, your kid has reached that goal mm -hmm. at such a young age. Right. Like, what's the fallout from that? Like, what are you teaching yeah. them about, like, what it means to persevere beyond or just, like, set some reasonable goals? Right. <laughs> I don't doubt that she read the thousand books, but I do wonder the capacity for a five-year-old brain mm. to remember and process all those books. Yeah. Like, are we talking a Dr. Seuss book? Or are we talking, like, you know, Mercy Watson? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, not to be negative, Nancy, but that mm -hmm. is my name. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that comes to mind, because I really am passionate about teaching children literacy, is that did she just read the books or did she decode the books? Is she just mm. reciting these words and not understanding? And then that leads me to wonder, is she doing it for the fame? Is she doing mm -hmm. it for the proverbial likes on Instagram and for everyone to say, oh, look at you? And, mm -hmm. and I just wonder about that. I think the container retainer child solved a problem and she thought of something on her own mm -hmm. but the other one just seems a little performative that's just my opinion mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah a little quantity over quality maybe yes well well said mm -hmm. yeah. um well my story is a little bit of a different angle uh-huh uh, and it came out of the washington post and it's about a young bird watcher whose hobby led to a national award. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Zeta Robertson set a goal to see 175 bird species this year. She's 13. Uh, and she reached that number in May, and so she has increased that goal to 109 species, and then 200, and then 210. She's hoping to see 220 species. And that will be her her mission, her goal. I'm sorry, where does she live? <laughs> she lives in the in... rainforest. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, she lives in Missouri. And there's that many species of I, birds there. I guess so. I guess so. But what I love is that her hobby started because she enjoyed watching the chickens in her backyard. Aww. Right. One of our children could do that. One of our mm -hmm. kids could be the next. National Birder of the Year. Uh, excuse me, Young Birder. Young Birder. Young Birder of mm -hmm. the Year. And I think what I love is that it was a, a goal, a mission that grew out of a hobby. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was a sign of like an intrinsic motivation. It mm -hmm. wasn't something prompted by adults, but the adults around her clearly saw that she had a passion mm -hmm. and helped her develop that passion. They got exactly. her some binoculars. <laughs> they got her some binoculars. <laughs> and a notebook. <laughs> and set her off into the world. Yeah. And the other thing I love, uh, later on in the story, she's sort of talking about what she's learned along the way. And uh, one of the biggest lessons she said that she's learned is that 
that she can be wrong and that it's humbling. So hmm. if she misidentifies a bird species, she's like, oh yeah, I was totally wrong about that. And mm -hmm. does some research and finds out what the bird actually was. So like there's some, some built-in like meeting a problem, figuring out that you were wrong and sort of readjusting. Where do you think she watches them from? <laughs> to know more. I'm gonna Google this girl. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I envision her sitting in like a canopy hideaway. Like a tree house. Yeah, a tree house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's impressive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's developing a lifelong passion, learning as a scientist that not all science experiments or observations are foolproof. Mm -hmm. And then for me, it's also something she can teach her parents or her family. Yeah. yeah. She's sharing yeah, yeah. sharing that and teaching them. I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. I bet she has to have a lot of conversations with people, too. I bet there's a social piece of it where she has to, like, meet other birders. Sure. You know, and talk yeah. to them about the birds they've seen. And so I bet there's a little bit of, of that sort of maturity in her mm -hmm. as well that she had to develop. Yeah. Yeah. In the birding community. <laughs> but I wonder if she has any videos or anything. I'd really like to see her. Yeah. I, she sounds very interesting. Well, we'll have to look her up. Maybe you we can... Uh... Stumbled across a gold mine right there. <laughs> a teaching gold mine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, a dear friend recently shared an article with me. Mm -hmm. This article that came across my desk mm -hmm. is about a child in Wisconsin who taught himself how to crochet. He was home on a snow day and um, his hobby became crocheting, and he turned it into a business. Hmm. Stop it, Isn't what does he wonderful? do? Um, he taught himself how to crochet at the age of five by watching YouTube videos. I I'm speaking that. of YouTube. What? And now he's a crocheting prodigy. His own business is called Jonah's Hands, and it is based out of his home in La Crosse, Wisconsin. So I'm thinking, here's the hobby. Yep. Here's a money-making business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's so many lessons here, and I think that's wonderful. But I wanted to point out, he doesn't do it for the fame. He has more than 46,000 followers on Instagram, but he said that it brings him peace and calmness and that it's something that he does at home with the one that he loves, the person he loves the most, his mother. Aww. Well, that just tears at my heartstrings. But I think that's beautiful. His most difficult design was crocheting a blanket with 800 plush flowers. Wow. Okay, so that's amazing. But perseverance. Yeah. yeah. And to teach himself. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And he donates some of his money to uh, people in Ethiopia who happen to live in an orth orphanage because he too was adopted okay. as an infant. Aww. Well, that tells me that uh, the adults in his world are, are teaching him some really strong lessons about, mm -hmm. you know. Giving back. Giving yeah, taking care of others. Yeah. But he was a self-starter starter, and he taught himself. I think that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes me think my kids still have some things to do. Well, there's, <laughs> so. there, is, there is still time. There is still time. You hear that? <laughs> Spencer and Amy? <laughs> there is still time. Uh, that's actually a really great segue. Um, we've talked about the fact that you two are parents and I am not, and we've shared some stories mm -hmm. about your own parenting journeys. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, when your kids were five and six, like what were your expectations of them? I mean, I imagine it's one thing to have, you know, hopes and dreams for your kid. Mm -hmm. It's another to have some 
hard and fast expectations of them. Uh, I think it's interesting because my youngest child is 22 and I think back to when she was five and six years old that there wasn't social media and there wasn't this fervent desire to film everything and, and do it so that you can take a picture and share it with people that you know mm. and people that you don't know. So what I wanted for my child at the age of five and six was just to be a kind and happy child. And that mm. sounds so corny and trite, but that's really all I wanted, to know how to speak to adults and take care of herself and be respectful of her family and her friends. Um, that would be, mm. that was my hope, I should say. Mm. Yeah. I certainly had lofty goals of them caring about the world. Like, Spencer used to, he loved the, the garbage trucks in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. And so he wanted to collect the trash that they didn't get because they couldn't, they didn't clean the streets. They just sort of mm-hmm. took it off. And so he used to go around with a wagon and he had this robotic arm that he called his grab nabber. <laughs> and he would pick up trash mm-hmm. from our neighborhood and I used it as the mile walk to Starbucks. <laughs> and so we would go walking and he would pick up trash along the way and then we'd each get like a treat at Starbucks and walk back. And then any recyclables that he had, he would bring and he would turn it in and he would get money for his recyclables and that would pay for our next Starbucks run. And so he, like he loved doing that. And so in my mind, I was like, oh my God, he's a future environmentalist. Like he's gonna get, like this is his calling. And then like eventually he like got tired of collecting the trash and you know, whatever. And so that ended. But like in my head, I, I was one of those people that was like, oh, this next thing they're interested in is gonna be their big thing. But be honest, did you nudge him a little bit with the grabber to recycle and care about his environment or was that truly something he really loved picking up stuff with the grab napper and so for me it was like well if you're going to pick up stuff you know and if you're going to like go around getting those cans Mm -hmm. then let's at least do something with it because I wasn't going to have him like doing it and then just recycle a couple cans and that was it so and we are walking to we are going on walks anyway right so there was a like oh let's do this but I never said it's time to go. Like he would call it like I'm the litter patrol. Okay. And mm-hmm. so he wanted to do that. So I never told him it was litter patrol time. Like he would mm-hmm. say like, I want to go out and do litter patrol. He'd be like, all right. <laughs> so we would go do it. So fast forward at approximately 13, 14 years, uh-huh. does he have any aspirations related to that? Or was it just an isolated <laughs> time in his life? Um, Would you talk about it with him at all? No, I mean, we bring it up and he like finds it funny. Mm-hmm. I think he is somebody who, da- like he he does hate litter, you okay. know, but like not like in like a, you know, insane way of like he goes around collecting it and all that, you know, mm-hmm. he's not David Sedaris taking the long walks. <laughs> right. But he he will like if he sees something on the street, he'll pick it up without thinking okay. and throw it away. But he's not the environmentalist that I thought he was going to be. Mm-hmm. But but that's it. That was a long story to say. I tried to look for what they were interested in and and encourage that. So 
uh, my expectations were that they just would stick with things. And so, mm -hmm. you know, when they started playing guitar, we expected them to stick with it for at least a year before they gave up. And they never gave up. Um, but, you know, I happiness to me, like wanting them to be happy, of course. But I also sort of had the viewpoint of like, sometimes you're going to have a bad day. So like kindergarten was really rough for Spencer because we just moved from California and, you know, he was trying to find friends and he was sad that we were sort of not in our old, old home. And so it was a time of transition for him. Yeah. So, he, you know, he was happy to be back with my parents, but um, I would say that was probably an expectation. You will form a relationship with your grandparents mm. but I guess I guess for me my children had things that they would try out but you said that they still like to play the guitar I mm -hmm. believe you mentioned and I really have to think about but I don't think my children do anything now that was they did as young children of course if they signed up for lessons or activities they would have to see it through yeah like a lot a lot of took fencing for a while <laughs> <laughs> and you know a lot of just sit back and imagine <laughs> me taking her to Menominee yeah. Club once a week, and she would put on that gear, wow. including that cage wow. thing on your face. I'm sure there's a name for it. I don't recall <laughs> it right now. And mm -hmm. she would fence. Not happening is anymore. Is she not a fencer anymore? Is she that is not. <laughs> Does she watch fencing? Not at all. I, don't, I doubt she watches any sporting events at all, but I'll get back to you on that. But I just feel like my children have tried different things, but I didn't see a passion in them as children that is carried over mm -hmm. into their adulthood. So yeah. while it sounded trite for me to say that I want them to be kind and respectful yeah. and all that, I just think that I thought more about the values that I wanted them to mm -hmm. have, but the hobbies and the longevity with them it didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> that makes me think about, I was a, a reticent reader mm. as a kid. And so um, all you 90s babies in the Book It program, where you mm. used to be able to read books and log them in, and Pizza Hut would give you a personal pan pizza. I love that. Based on how many books you'd read. That was my jam. Mm -hmm. But eventually Book It ran out, and I was like, mm, I'm not really interested. <laughs> uh, but in my house, there was an expectation that you were going to read books. Like, my family owns a lot of books and we went to the library a lot we had library cards like books were just a a natural phenomena in our house and so um you were expected to to read for pleasure for your own education um and so at some point when the book it program ran out my mother got me a subscription to a to vibe magazine which mm. doesn't even exist anymore um and that was sort of my renewed my interest in reading because mm -hmm. you were reading about hip-hop i was reading about <laughs> things that you know i was interested in reading about at the time and um i think i learned to develop a, a habit or a practice of reading that um came from personal interests and I think that made a lot of that was a shift for me yeah it was not sort of these outside factors determining how much I was going to read or when I was going to read but reading for my own pleasure um, now here's a question yeah 
being a reticent reader. Mm-hmm. Were your parents alarmed? Like reticent reader meaning you were reading not by first grade or? Um, I would say I was probably reading independently by the end of second grade. Uh-huh. Um, and was that, was that something that caused your family panic? I'm sure it did. I was the, the eldest. Uh-huh. Uh, of two professionally educated people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think they were also savvy enough to know that, you know, the school would tell them if there was a problem. Mm-hmm. So they never... I was never tutored in reading. Yeah. Um, it was much more of a, we trust the teachers, we trust that we've found a school, chosen a school that's going to, you know, usher Kirk along. He'll become a reader at some point. Um, there's also a little bit of perspective in that my parents are both voracious readers, and mm-hmm. so the the scale was a little off in our house. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Because that's something that I think about, like with my own kids, I had to like think about what I would have wanted mm-hmm. because like there are certain things that I really wanted my kids to do like read or enjoy math or whatever and the second I would start panicking about it that they weren't like they weren't loving their teacher the way that I wanted them to love mm-hmm. their teacher or whatever it was um, I would have to think about like what would I want my mom to have done with mm-hmm. me because like when my mom would ask me so many questions about school and about the teacher and about reading or whatever it would make me super stressed and i have to always put myself in that position of like what would and same thing with my teenage daughter now like what what would i want my mom (laughs) to have done and i think that my mom had the right formula of like you know she got involved when when i was upset and Mm -hmm. stayed out of it otherwise and even then, the involvement meant she asked me a lot of questions. She didn't like necessarily go to the school, but, um, but I had so that's why I asked. Like, did they panic? Did they? Yeah. No, I think uh, they knew that I needed help in math because I told them I don't understand what I'm doing in math, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think they teased out differently, parsed out differently than. Kirk just hasn't found books that he's into. Yet. Yeah. Hasn't developed a, a habit, a practice yet. Mm-hmm. I think we're talking about a couple of things here. Yeah. So you learn to read that perhaps one would argue at a later mm-hmm. point than other students did. But yeah. certainly I think everyone has an expectation that your child will read because you have to to survive. Mm-hmm. But I also think we're talking about your child's hobbies and interests, and I know there are a lot of parents who want their children to like or be interested in what mm. they are interested in. And I think sure. part of being a parent is accepting that this might be boring to me or I am not interested, but my child is not an extension of me. So yeah. if I didn't become an actress or if I'm not president, it doesn't mean I can put that on my child. They might want to learn how to fence, and I have zero desire (laughs) to watch it, learn it, (laughs) do it, but Mm -hmm. you certainly want to encourage your child to pursue their 
interest. So I just wanted to point that out. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. I think that's a great point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, I wonder if the young birder of the year, if her if parents, their parents are birders, avid birders. Mm -hmm. Right. They just saw yeah. that their kid had an interest mm -hmm. in it. And that's part of parenting is being selfless and encouraging. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The grabber, stabber, what was it called? It's a grab-nabber. Grab-nabber, yeah. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. But you brought up something else about talking about your child's interests or disappointments as they pursue these interests. And I think that it's tricky when you're talking to your children, especially young children. Um, sure. I, I know I traveled abroad once and my children did not go with me. And you call them and you miss them so much. And you ask them, how was your day? And what are you doing? You get these yes, no, fine. And they mm -hmm. can't wait to get off the phone and you just miss them so much. And then you know, it's the same thing when you pick them up from school. How is this? And what happened? And this and that. You're so excited to see them, and they don't have anything to say. Yeah. And just trying to get that information from them is a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, um, the car rides with my kids are yes. like truth serum. Because we're riding out to Old Orchard, or we're going here yep. and there, and their horrible music is playing, and mm -hmm. slowly but surely, yeah. they start to talk. And then before yeah. you know it, spilling the beans yeah and it's so much easier when you just let them yeah. share instead of when you're just pounding the questions do you know that there's a science to that no yeah there actually is mm. there's something about the movement of the car mm -hmm. for a certain amount of time and i don't know what the magic number is and again here i am with these like random science articles that i've <laughs> yeah. read but no you're proof at all <laughs> but um thank you science sister um there's something about that rhythm that lulls people into easier conversations huh. and also because your child isn't looking at you eye to eye you're next to them or they're behind you and so they can be looking out the window and talking they can be looking straight ahead they don't have to be looking so it's to them it's less intimidating than a face-to-face -face at the dinner table tell me about your day type thing mm -hmm. it is more of a like parallel conversation that they can have Interesting. Mm -hmm. That happens organically. Yes. And so, because for me, we've always lived a little bit away from the school that we go to. Right. And the rides home is, I get all the information. And my husband's always like, how do you get all this out of them? Because they'll say nothing to him. I'm like, you don't drive with them. <laughs> Sometimes I will make up errands to do just so we're in the car next to each other. So um, had I heard Old Orchard, I would have definitely gone out there. But I think there's something to that where they don't have to look at you. And also, I can't get too upset. I'm driving. Sure. Right? So no matter what you tell me, I am in a position where I, it is best to keep my wits about me. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, a little, little piece of science. <laughs> just another article that come across my desk. Oh. My desk is just... Oh, wow. It's like a news stuff. Oh. It really is. Walter Cronkite. Well, let's go to Nancy Moore. <laughs> but there's just an article I came across about how to talk so kids will listen and listen. So kids will talk. Mm. Oh, do tell. This is Adele Faber and Elaine Maslish. I hope I'm pronouncing her uh, last name correctly. But um, it just discusses interviewing for pain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's uh, interesting when a parent gloms on to, glob, gloms, that's the word? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That one. Yep, yep. When they glom it's on to scientific. something that a child has complained about, um, and they just glom onto that. And children <laughs> are quick to realize that bad stories 
about something are a good way to get a parent's attention mm. and that they may seek to satisfy you. So maybe they present the facts in an attention-seeking way. Uh -huh. So perhaps someone bumped my shoulder in the hall and that turns into that person is bullying me, for mm -hmm. example. So sometimes children exaggerate perhaps to get their parents' attention because normally they would not have it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I wonder if this is like a, a segue into talking about like, what are your expectations what were your expectations as parents of your kids' teachers and of school? Mm. I mean, I'm thinking about my own upbringing and my parents, I'd say during elementary school were pretty hands-off. They really, I think, trusted the school to do its job, my teachers to do their job in terms of uh, meeting my needs and pushing me and challenging me. Um, they were certainly involved in the ways that parents can be involved in schools. They volunteered. Um, I remember my dad chaperoning a museum field trip one mm. year. It's like, oh, hi, Dad. Hey, you. <laughs> Didn't your brother recently? And my a brother field trip? did. Yes, my brother has two young kids, and he just recently. <laughs> chaperoned a field trip to historic Ellicott City oh. and had to ride the bus with uh, about 63rd graders. That's a precious age. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as parents, like, what did you think, what were your expectations of your child's school? Did you think they could do more, that they couldn't do enough? Were there things that you were like, mm, that's a home job, we'll take care of it at home? Mm. I know that I never wanted to be a parent that um, I sort of had the the ailment that my parents had, which I always felt like anytime I contacted the teacher, it was an inconvenience. Mm. And so I always felt bad saying like, hey, so, I was try I tried to be very careful what I reached out about. I think to a detriment for my kids sometimes mm -hmm. where probably stuff was going on and I should have stepped in sooner and I didn't because I wanted my kids to handle it on their own. Um, and so maybe that was a lofty expectation that I had of my kids. But um, I think I wanted school to be a place that my kids felt safe going to, knowing full well that they weren't always going to want to go to school. Mm. And they weren't always going to have fun at school because school's hard work. And um, I think I expected that um, assignments were reasonable and that they always had a purpose. I hated busy work from a teacher. Um, and I felt like if, if you were making things happen in the classroom where my child is being forced to be respectful and um, not forced but encouraged to be respectful then uh, and, and work with others and learn life skills, I trusted that the academic stuff was going to come mm. at some point. Mm -hmm. But I, I really loved hearing about things that made them, you know, better people. Not to sound too cheesy, but yeah, yeah, yeah. 
there's such a trust that you place in your child's teacher as a parent. And I, too, want this school to be my child's place. But certainly if they need my help, I'm there in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. But I'm the mother who would drop my kids off. I, I wouldn't walk them in because I want them to learn the executive functioning of walking somewhere, finding the place. And I have three, so the olders would walk the youngers mm -hmm. in, et cetera, et cetera, until they gain their independence. But it's interesting that there's some parent, there's some teachers that parents like more than others, but the bottom line for me is that the teacher is doing their job. That's, mm -hmm. that's certainly important, so I have to put a little bit of trust in that teacher. I do know one instance, um, it came to my attention that a music teacher clapped when one of my children was absent. So oh. he said, so-and-so is absent from school. What? Whoa. <laughs> Let's all clap that she's not there. And that came to my attention. And uh, <laughs> Yikes. Yanked that person right out of class. So I, I, I came in the next day, and uh, he got up and went to greet me and was so happy I was there, not knowing that I knew. And I stated the facts. I mm. still have that letter from him apologizing to me. Uh, did wow. he have, but that uh, how do you apologize <laughs> for that? I really caught him off guard, so I think in the moment he didn't know what to say. Yeah. But he was a little nervous, so I still have that letter somewhere. But um, wow. I also think about another daughter who got into a little scuffle, and she was uh, in the primary grade, shall we say. It <laughs> 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 got into a little scuffle, uh -huh. and I was absolutely livid. <laughs> and she had to write a letter to uh, the person that she scuffled with mm. and to her teacher mm -hmm. and had to speak to them. And I just stood there and watched her apologize and uh, atone for her behavior, shall yeah. we say. Uh, but that's important that she learned to take responsibility and to speak. I'm, I'm not going to speak for you. And she was nervous, mm -hmm. and I knew she was nervous, but hey, guess what? That's too bad. Mm -hmm. So you have like to the do intersection it. of your expectations and school, it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So hey, you know, after that music teacher, she still had to be in that class, so certainly that's tense, but yeah. um, mm -hmm. I'll just share one more story. For mm -hmm. me, as a teacher, I can sense that there have been some parents who really don't like me. Mm. Um, just a handful, of course. Oh, I can't even imagine that. <laughs> like, count on half a hand. Uh, uh -huh. But I think I'm, I'm not here to be liked. I'm here to do my job. And I think that probably it was hard for them to hear some of what I had to say mm. about their child. Mm -hmm. But I feel it's trite to say, but knowledge is power. And the more you see your child for who they are, and the more you know about them, then everyone can do right by by that child. And I know one particular child had a rocky road with his parents, and I really like those parents very much now, and I think mm -hmm. they like me, but we just have to yeah. be true to the profession, be true to the profession of parenting or teaching yeah. to do best for the child, but it's hard. Mm. I think, yeah, I think that whenever I dealt with teachers or worked with teachers that, mm -hmm. of my children, I could not turn off my own teacher brain. And so in the later grades, my kids would say, oh, that teacher hates me. And I'd say, I know you're just being, <laughs> you're just saying that because you feel that way in the moment. But I hope you know, like I always am very clear, like I hope you know, as a teacher, I don't hate any child. Right. There's some kids who give me a more difficult time and challenge my patience, but that's my job. Like that's, 
that's supposed to happen. I know that. So I take that in and know that that's going to be part of my day. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make me like a child more or less. So, you know, your teacher maybe is challenging you, maybe was snarky with you, and you can address that, but your, your teacher has too much going on in their <laughs> life to actually feel a dislike towards right. you. Yeah. Trust me. And so I hope that, that parents hear that from our end, that like, we, that we have too much going on to actually wake up and think today, I'm going to make little Sally's day <laughs> miserable because I don't like her. You know, I, there's never, ever a time that I've woken up and thought that. Yeah. I have taken a deep breath before mm -hmm. I go into a classroom because sure. I know I can look in and see chaos has broken out, mm -hmm. but, but never, ever with parents or kids is my time spent hating or disliking. <laughs> You know, because that's part of our job. Yeah. And so I like to think that of my own kids' teachers. And right now, they're if they're listening, they're <laughs> <laughs> the three people listening are like, oh, no, I heard that person talking about Dana. <laughs> um, yeah. Hmm. Uh, I'm thinking about a, a time, I think I was in fifth grade, uh, and we had to write our first book reports. And I still remember it was the autobiography of Frederick Douglass. Oh. And I had probably a month or so to read the book and write the book report. So you read it well ahead of time? Uh, yeah, no, mm -hmm. not at all. Not at all. <laughs> uh, I'm a procrastinator to the mm -hmm. core and was then as well. So I waited until like the night before to read mm -hmm. the book and write the book report. <laughs> And turned it in <coughs> and got a really good grade on it. Oh, you pulled it, pulled it out. Pull, pulled something out of somewhere. So you learned a good lesson. Right. Yeah. My mother. Uh oh. My mother. God bless her. Goes into school and says, My son wrote this book report the night before. No, she didn't. He can't get this good of a grade on it. What? <laughs> what? What grade are you? Fifth grade. I still remember this. So you're what, nine, ten? How old are you in fifth grade? How are, wow. Go you? on. Yeah. I'm just thinking of the humiliation factor, too. Because <laughs> you and thought you were okay. Miss Souter, if you're listening to this, I wonder if you remember this story either. Miss <laughs> uh, Souter says, well, Bonnie, my mom's name is Bonnie. Bonnie, um, it was a really good book report. It was one of the best in the class. I, I yeah, can't it was. actually <laughs> take any points away from him. And I remember being livid mm -hmm. with my mother that she would have outed me in that way. Mm -hmm. uh, but as an adult, I, I sort of understand where she was coming from. There's some mad respect <laughs> for me. <laughs> uh, because she really did want to teach me the lesson about like waiting until the last minute to, to turn in a project. Um, but a couple of things I think about, too, are like, Developing a relationship as a parent with your kid's teacher. Um, I know that my mom and Miss Souter had a relationship with one another. Mm -hmm. They spoke the same language. They had the same concerns, had the same goals for me. Um, and my mother never came from a place of like, from an accusatory place. It was sure. always... 
she approached things from curiosity. Like she wanted to know, you know, how long we'd been given the project, how long we had to complete the project, if we had been working on it at school. Um, at the end of it, of all of those questions, it was still, well, he did this last night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, and I know as a teacher myself, professionally, I appreciate when a parent comes to me from a place of curiosity. Uh, because I know that they're really trying to partner with me. Mm -hmm. That their expectations for their kids sit alongside my expectations for their kid. And um, I think that's, that's when I really hit the sweet spot with the family. Building mm -hmm. a relationship with the family, I think, is when that happens. And think about how we have intake conferences at the mm -hmm. beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. Because back in the olden days, you just dropped your child off in September or whatever mm -hmm. and hope for the best. Yeah. You asked your child, what's your teacher like? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm curious, like if we were going to, because I'm sure there are current SK parents listening to this podcast right now. Uh-huh. They've been and they taking, all better be? Yeah, yeah. They've mm -hmm. been taking furious notes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of your expectations for kids in your room? That's a great question. Mm. Um, one of the expectations we're working on right now is um, knowing the routines that we've established. Mm -hmm. So they've got a morning routine down, but something like when it's clean up, and you're done, you feel like you can look around and your responsibility has been fulfilled, you sit at the rug, right? But they haven't gotten that yet. And so cleanup time is really tough in SK O'Brien. <laughs> and so my expectation is if I address that at conferences, that we're having a conversation about like, what's cleanup like at home? Like, how can you help me help your child? Like, this is where your child is struggling they don't feel like they need to clean up. So what can we do at home to help your child understand that at school you help out, mm. right? So I think expectations of knowing that we are a class and that we are all working together and that we all have a role to play and that role shifts and we have to be flexible. And I think uh, an expectation of I'm going to be a hard worker. Mm. So a little bit of persistence in, you know, if they draw themselves and they don't have eyes, I want them to go back and put eyes on, but, yeah. but do it well. Mm -hmm. Not like rush through it. I don't want 100% all orange stick figure and they're done with their self-portrait. So, you know, the ability to hear feedback, process it, and, and work hard at trying to get the job done. I really connected with the family that uh, whose child I'm teaching this year because I think it's very important for any child, no matter where they live and what their circumstances are, to have grit. And I think it's very interesting that oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes coming from a place of privilege doesn't translate into having grit. So I think about day to day when children say they're tired or 
I need something rather than asking, may I have this, or not helping to clean up. They all just have to understand that there's one out of 19 of you, and we all have to come together as a community, as a team. And just because we have all these wonderful supplies and books and everything at the ready doesn't mean that you shouldn't take care of them and respect the materials and respect each other and do the best you can. Hence, not the orange stick figure. Hence, yes, you're tired, you know, depending on the day. Sometimes it's like, I'm tired too, but guess what? I arrived early and I'm ready to work and let's go. Let's push through. And I just think that's so important. And I think just the simple things of loading your backpack, of getting your lunch, of getting this. Sometimes I feel like they think I'm a waitress and I'm just going to go and bring this over here and then, you know, table one wants this and table three wants this. I'm not doing all that. Get up and get it. Yeah. You have to do it too. You have yeah. to help yourself. And that's goes back to the original question you asked me about my own kids. Yeah. I want you to grow up and be able to take care of yourself and be kind and know how to problem solve and you might not be the president. <laughs> you know, you might not yeah. be a bird watcher, you might not read right. a thousand books, but whatever it is you decide to do, do the best you can. Yeah. All the time. Mm -hmm. Even when you're tired, you gotta push through. Yeah. I just think that's important. I remember telling somebody um, that I didn't care if my kids were middle of the road, if they needed tons of LR, but what I wanted is for them to know if they got stuck on the street, how to find their way home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, and, yep. and do it politely, yeah. right? Like, mm -hmm. I want you to know how to ask somebody. I want you to know who to look for to ask. Sure. I want you, so like, to me, grades, and this is, people aren't gonna believe it, but it's for real. If I know my kids are working really hard, the grade doesn't matter to me because yeah. grades are subjective. And especially at a school like we're in, they're very subjective. And you um, don't always get what you earn, and you don't always earn what you get. And so to me, that is sort of a, an empty letter. I love the comments teachers write. I love reading those, and I love hearing things about my kids where they're hard workers or where they're the one who's trying to gather everybody and get them moving. And so things like that to me are really important. And so I think the, the grit piece, all of that, it's like, yes. And the confidence to question a teacher mm -hmm. in a way of saying, you know, um, is it okay that I did not do this homework and I turn it in tomorrow? That's what I mean by questioning. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I know that you said it had to be turned in today, but can I turn it in tomorrow? Here's why. So advocating for themselves. Yeah, yeah. you know, I think that to me has always been very important. And so when I read those comments about my kids, that's when I know like, oh, I. Um, we did all right. Like, mm. <laughs> whatever is happening, we're doing all right. Because if they get dropped off in the middle of nowhere, they will find their way out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of my biggest expectations of kids coming through my room is that they are going to think for themselves. Mm. Um, whether it's like when they're interacting with peers and you know, uh, a bad choice gets made and somebody says, well, so-and-so did it first. Like, that's one of my biggest pet peeves mm -hmm. in my room because that tells me you're not thinking for yourself. Mm -hmm. And you've been given this really great brain that can make really great choices and you've decided to cede all of that power and thinking to somebody else. Right. Um, 
I also want kids to be curious and to mm. wonder mm-hmm. because I think those are skills that are going to serve them well past my room, well into their adult lives. Yeah. Um, and so when kids ask me questions that they already know the answer to, it's like, well, of course I'm going to make up something silly because mm-hmm. I want them to be able to think for themselves. Like, oh, yeah, I did know the answer to that. I didn't have to ask Mr. Kirk. Um so often kids will ask me, what are you doing? When they'll see me I, that doing drives something. me crazy. <laughs> like I'm standing at the paper cutter cutting paper, mm-hmm. and a kid will ask me, what are you doing? And I'll say, well, I'm feeding my pet rhinoceros. <laughs> and they'll look at me like I've got two heads. But at the end of the day, I, I want them to think for themselves. And I'll often say, what do you really want to know? Because mm. you know what I'm doing. Yeah. So what do you really want to know? Yeah. And it pushes them to think a little further. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I think uh, we certainly have expectations of kids for like reading and math and science and whatnot. But I think the core of our rooms, they're also life skills that we're hoping kids, expecting kids yeah. to, uh, to work through. Oh. Just a quick thought. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. On, on sort of... Because I think we have expectations of parents, too. Mm-hmm. And oh, so yeah. an expectation of a parent for me, mm. or I guess it would be a, a goal that I would have, is parents understand that they don't have to answer every question. Mm. So the, what are you doing? Or how does a car go? Or how, like, knowing how to say, well, I, I don't know, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And not Googling the answer. Because I find that... Um, kids find that they're really think that they're very very smart when they have a lot of information, mm-hmm. and I do think that that's one type of intelligence having a, a lot of information in your head. But I think that there's also knowing what to do with that information. Yeah. And so the kids, to me, who know what to do with the information that lives in their head or the information that they can see in front of them, are kids who are going to be a lot more successful later in life than the kids who have memorized, who are going to win at Jeopardy at some point with the facts. Yeah. You know? So my expectation for a parent would be to encourage that curiosity mm-hmm. and to sort of um, not be so impressed and celebrate the 1,000 books that your child has read yeah. or the amount of math facts that your kid knows or, um, you know, the science kit that your kid just finished. Mm-hmm. But really celebrating when they do something that is um, full of heart, that mm. they, they're they really persevering through something or they were just really kind to somebody or, um, you know, none of my kids know how to hold a door for anyone, you know. And so my expectation of parents is to say thank you to your barista so your kid can say thank you, see you saying thank you and know that they have to say thank you. Yeah. My expectation of parents is hold the door for the person behind you. Mm-hmm. You know, and then your kid sees that as well. So I think there's there's a lot of behavior that we would love to be modeled at home. And I'm not nagging. I'm not saying that's not going on. But I think the more that we surround kids with that, the more that we'll see it here at school. Yeah. I think sometimes it's interesting when you see a child with the parent and the child that you mm-hmm. know at school is remarkably different than the child and how they interact with the parent. I've seen a lot of children start acting like three-year-olds mm-hmm. instead of five and six-year-olds as soon as they see 
they're grown up and it's very interesting. I'd like to give parents permission to um, to talk straight to their kids in front of me. That's yeah. okay. So if your child is doing something that you don't enjoy and it's something that you normally at home might give a stern answer to, mm-hmm. feel free in front of me to give that stern answer. I don't need you to be Susie Sunshine and, and kind um, and politely find a way to say no. Yeah. I'm totally okay with you saying, oh, that is not okay. Mm-hmm. Pull up, pull a Dana's mom and grab me by the ear and say, let's step outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, an interesting thing to think about too. Like what are my expectations of parents? And I think I, if I'm giving parents permission to do something, it's to beat their kid at a game at mm. home. Yes. Like I, I hope my expectation is that parents aren't just letting their kids win all the time at home because that serves nobody. It doesn't serve that kid. It doesn't serve their peers. It doesn't serve me as the adult supervising a classroom of 19 kids. Mm-hmm. Um I think it also goes back to, Nancy, your point about developing grit in your kid and uh, sportsmanship mm-hmm. as well. Like, what does it mean to to lose in a pro-social way, in a way that isn't going to, like, completely annoy the other people around you? Um, I think that's an important life skill, and I hope something families are practicing outside of my classroom. Because please believe... If I'm playing Uno with the kid, I'm playing to win. I'm playing to win. <laughs> Draw four. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And share your feelings. Mm-hmm. I have plenty of times have said to the kids when we're playing games, I am so flustered. Or even, I'm so bored playing this game right now. <laughs> you said that? Yeah, yeah, I'd like this to be over soon. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's fair for, mm-hmm. for children to know, like, mm-hmm. meeting my own, like, Spencer and Amy kids, okay. not not my school kids, but like gotcha. I have said to them, you know, I am so bored. I can't wait for this to be over because I want them to know like this is taking a lot of time and this is not something I love, but I am showing you my full happy spirit mm-hmm. and I'm present with you and, you know, I'm doing this, but, I, you know, the world doesn't revolve around them. They need to know that yeah. and they need to know that I am not so happy to be playing shoots and ladders for the 18th time that day or whatever it is monopoly god i hate that game (laughs) so you know and they'll know it and then they won't ask me to play that game the next time Mm -hmm. you know so i think like they can they can see that i'm bored but still doing it so when they tell me they're bored and i expect them to keep doing something yeah i'm not asking them to do something i wouldn't do myself or when you have to go to the bank or pick up a prescription right they're bored they're still going to behave and act appropriately while (laughs) We don't have to be singing games. Exactly. It makes me think that our expectations are tied to building Mm self-confidence in kids as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And patience. And patience. Patience is so important. Mm -hmm. It's becoming a lost art. Absolutely. It really is. I want it now. I want it now. I want it now. Mm -hmm. And that self-confidence can be easily masked as false confidence. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of kids that parents see that they think are confident aren't. They've just learned how to present that mm-hmm. to people. But, you know, we none of us need to, like, review what we all read, and I'm sure parents read it in their parenting books before birth, that, you know, when you let a child know that they can hang up their own backpack, that builds 
a little piece of confidence, but then they think the next next task they can do. And so knowing that they can do these skills and I'm patiently going to watch you try to tie that shoe a few times. And then, you know, I'll jump in when you ask, then I think, you know, that builds way more confidence than me saying good job at everything. Because mm. that's false. Yeah. Or I think about like, if I have the expectation that you are going to set the table before dinner every night, you then know how all of those utensils on a table work if mm -hmm. you are at a restaurant or if you are hosting your own dinner party down the line. And I trust you with those not to turn them into weapons. Because mm. mm -hmm. I've seen that too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's that piece where it's like you give a kid some carving tools for a pumpkin and and they can and they know that they can do it. Yeah. Right? I'm not saying like a hatchet knife, but right. like, sure. you know, those miniature pumpkin kits, mm -hmm. like my kids always use those. Yeah. They have all their fingers and they, you know, they carved away and it was hard and it was it was fun and it was satisfying for them to know that they actually did do that. Yeah. It wasn't something that mom did and then said, "Look what you did. Here's your pumpkin." Right. Yeah. Right? So I think there's many things that we do out of um, either fear for the kids or out of necessity to be done with something that strips them of their confidence. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that we don't realize how guilty we are of that. I think parents underestimate too. Like if a kid has heard their parents' expectations at home consistently, they're going to hear that message playing in their head, in their bodies, in mm -hmm. their hearts and souls. Yes. Mm -hmm. Other places. Mm -hmm. Like, oh gosh, my mom and dad, my parents, my adults, expect X of me at home. So they probably expect it of me other places as right. well. So right. there's some transference of mm -hmm. those <laughs> expectations as well. Mm -hmm. I think about like uh, having... My parents all the time expected us to address older adults by Mr. or Mrs. in their last name. And heaven forbid if word got back to them that we hadn't addressed them mm -hmm. by that name, we would have been crass. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you said crass. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I took a detour. You were wrapping us up. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think we've we've talked a lot about expectations, both of our own children, our school children, mm -hmm. uh, expectations from you know our own parents growing up. What's your uh, your last good word on expectations <sighs> and young children? What's the nugget that people are gonna walk away with today. Mm. I actually think that um, that my takeaway is was sort of is sort of a reflective one mm. of when I was parenting young children, I had to look at my upbringing a lot and sort of what I wanted the outcome to be. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to take away all their problems because I wanted them to be able to solve it. I knew that the, the battle fought early, the mm -hmm. battle to set up that bedtime routine, the battle to make them practice half hour of guitar every night and never stopping and never letting them go. Then, uh, then later that was built in. Mm -hmm. They knew what I expected. 
they knew that um, this felt good, right? And they like meeting those expectations. Kids want to please their parents. Mm -hmm. And so um, never setting anything up that I, as a child, wouldn't have liked and that I, um, yeah, so, so knowing what I expected the outcome years later to be. Mm-hmm. So I didn't need them to read a thousand books in the early stages. I wanted them to love reading. Mm-hmm. And if that happened at a slow pace, for one of them it did, for the other it did not, then that was okay too. Yeah. I wanted them to love math. They both do not. But they're capable at it, sure. you know. So I wanted them to be curious, and so we did a lot of backyard play and digging in the mud and all that sort of thing. So I, I knew that that time spent early on with some open-ended play with high expectations of behavior would pay off in the future. Mm. I played the long game. Played that's, the long game. That's my long-winded mm. nugget. Well, I think it's important. It speaks to the importance of kindergarten because all the lessons that they're learning every day and I don't mean that two plus two is four etc cetera, etc cetera, but I mean how to be a part of a group how to wait your turn how to be kind how to be helpful how to stick with it and if at first it doesn't succeed try again all of those things should transfer into adulthood they're life lessons it's things that you're practicing now that you practice for the rest of your life and I think that if as parents and teachers we encourage consistency if you say no 50 times, then say it 51 times. Mm. Model behavior, be a polite adult. We spoke of thanking the barista. Do that. I will still tell my adult children if I don't think they are handling self, themselves in an appropriate manner. Or if they need to do X, Y, and Z at their job, I think it's something that you need to talk to them about. And I think when you have adult children, perhaps they will not want to follow your advice or choose not to. But still, as a parent, it's my duty to throw that out there and let's talk about it mm-hmm. but uh, being a quote unquote good citizen it never stops and yeah. being a quote unquote good parent never stops either mm-hmm. uh, and I think my takeaway would just be as adults we're always going to have expectations for our kids and at some point we also have to be willing to listen and follow our kids leads Mm -hmm. follow the cues that our kids are giving us and let them struggle through some things even though it might be pulling at your own heartstrings as the adult watching absolutely um sometimes you got to take a step back and let them skin a knee Mm -hmm. yes so just be there with the Mm -hmm. (laughs) band-aid follow the birder (laughs) follow the birder. Uh, birder, if you're listening, <laughs> we want to interview you yes, and see a picture of where you watch the birds from. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. <laughs>